You're about to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk about the Delta variant, the resurgence throughout the U.S. and the rest of the world, and what implications that may have to fixed income markets and macro economy as a whole. We also talk a little bit about the infrastructure bill that's slowly making its way through the Senate and Congress. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back for my bi-weekly conversation with Dustin Reed. Dustin, today I thought we'd kick things off by talking about the resurgence of the Delta variant of uh, COVID-19 that we're starting to see spread uh, fairly significantly through the U.S. and Canada. I'd love your take on uh, what this could mean uh, to to markets and and the economy as a whole. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me back. I think Delta has been a very very significant uh, and growing driver for markets the last uh, six weeks or so, give or take. Sure. Um, I would say, you know, mid June, third week of June, we really started to look at it as a team in terms of, is this, you know, going to be significant? Is it significant? Um, key drivers? How do we, how do we manage the portfolio, you know, with with this as an emerging risk? And you know, what does it mean? So it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, top of mind and topical. I think, um, you know, c- clearly, um, uh, the 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 issue is is very much I think uh, you know the unvaccinated in in the pop in the populations globally um, and I think the CDC said it the head of the CDC said it very well this is a uh, this this has now become a a a, a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated and I think right. um, you know unfortunately I think there are there are sections of the of the population for uh, you know whatever reason and there are many reasons uh, that uh, you know are, are not overly comfortable uh, getting getting vaccinated uh, or, or maybe only got one shot and and you know did not have a great reaction to the first shot and didn't necessarily want to get the second so they're you know partially vaccinated um, you know it's interesting because my my view kind of looking at this back in June was okay this is a fed Let's take the U.S. side anyway. This is this is the Fed that really wants to see everybody participate in the economic recovery. And if there are, at least from a, maybe not from a GDP weighted perspective, but from a population perspective, fifteen or twenty percent of the population uh, that's you know not going to be able to participate in the in the recovery for whatever reason, not necessarily lockdown, but at least things are more restricted and, and the job you know the job opportunities are less and um, you know, the, the, uh, the labor market doesn't necessarily recover as fast as possible because of that 15 or 20%, you know, what does that mean? Is that enough for the fed to say, okay, let's hold on here and not necessarily move forward. And, uh, you know, what we learned from the fed meeting, this most recent fed meeting at the end of, um, the end of July was the fed, at least to me, the fed did not seem overly concerned about the Delta variant. And I think, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, you know, I I can have my opinion, uh, but I think, you know, kind of reading the, reading the, uh, the tea leaves for the Fed is really where, you know, that's, that's, that's where you're going to be able to help generate alpha or at least, you know, and or tail risk, um, you know, portfolios. And I think if the Fed is not, at least now, and the Fed could be wrong for sure, but at least the Fed doesn't, 
you know, at the end of July, there's a good month to, of them looking at it, at least a month. And, you know, they're, they're looking at it. There's no way they're, there's no way it's not. And if, if that is the, what I would call the, the view from the Fed at the end of July, that seems to suggest that the Fed doesn't, for whatever reason, does not believe that it's going to be a significant, uh, you know, presumably negative driver for, for the economy. And so it's probably not going to derail, uh, the Fed's, the Fed's timeline, at least materially. You know, could it push it back a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Do you, you know, does the Fed want to see a little bit more data? Yeah, maybe. Um, and, but I think it did anyway. Um, so I don't think it's that, that, you know, that, that disconcerting, um, okay. at least, at least for the Fed, you know, and there are obviously other markets in the world besides, besides the U.S. Um, and there are many vaccines, some of which clearly have an efficacy rate that's quite a bit higher against the Delta variant, uh, and some that are lower. Uh, a, a number of EM economies, and I think we've talked about a couple of them before on, on these podcasts that, uh, to me, look very, very uh, suspect, particularly a few in Asia. Um, I think I had mentioned Thailand, Philippines, and, uh, and Malaysia as, as three that I thought were maybe a, a, little, bit, a little bit disconcerting in terms of uh, where the vaccination rate was and or, and, you know, and the geography and um, the type of vaccine that was that was used that look a little bit that look a little bit uh, disconcerting. So, um, you know, there, there are going to be EM issues, I think, in, in various parts of the world. Right. Um, and, you know, we're seeing uh, instead of lockdowns, I'd, I'd say we're seeing more restrictions. So, you know, just, you know, just today we're seeing New York City say that you need to have a uh, you basically need to be vaccinated. Uh, or, or I guess show a negative test to be able to go and do, you know, uh, social things in the city like bars, restaurants, movie theaters, gyms, that sort of thing. And, right. you know, that's a, that's a mandate in the city. And you've seen the mask mandates come up in L.A., in San Fran, uh, sorry, in L.A., in, uh, in St. Louis, in, uh, in, a, in, a handful of, in a handful of other cities as well. And I think that, you know, th- those are the types of announcements that we're going to that we're going to have. Um, I think the Delta variant kind of elongates the the trajectory of the pandemic by, I would say, three, four, five months, something in there. Okay. Um, it probably doesn't probably you know it probably doesn't tectonically shift everything, but I do think that we're going to be dealing with this probably in a quote unquote negative way for for a bit longer. But from a market's perspective. It doesn't seem to at least impact uh, the Fed. And we've had this very interesting, you know, since our last podcast, we've had this very interesting kind of uh, back and forth within Australia, which is probably worth mentioning. So I would say last week, um, so to back up for a second, the the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, their central bank had a big meeting on July the 6th. And that was the big decision meeting as to whether it would taper or not and do a bunch of other things. And it said it would be tapering starting in September. And then between then and now, a lot of things have happened in Australia. I'm sure many people have seen Sydney locked down. The you know the state, New South Wales was essentially locked down. You know Melbourne, like uh, you know big big restrictions. And more than half the population had been locked down in Australia. So in the last week, there was a lot of discussion. I would say the consensus on the street going into this RBA meeting. Uh, was that the uh, was that the bank would actually have to pull back and say no we are not going to start tapering our bond purchases um, come September we're actually going to just going to leave it where it is and there was actually a, a um, 
a very well-known forecaster uh, domestically that was actually calling for uh, an increase in the tapering program. But we just had the RBA decision, and the RBA is essentially saying we're moving. We're moving ahead with our plans. We're actually not going to go backwards here. So against against mm-hmm. the consensus move, and I think that's interesting because uh, I'll be slightly off, but I think around twenty percent of the of the of the of the population in Australia is fully vaccinated. So it's right. quite it's quite low versus. Uh, here and in the U.S. and the U.K., Israel, and a lot of continental Europe, obviously. So I think that's very interesting because, um, you know, if, if the, the RBA had every opportunity to go back and say, you know what, we were a little early, didn't quite see this coming, you know, and I think they would have got a pass for obvious sure. reasons, and the, and the consensus was there, and they did not choose to walk through that door. So I think that tells you, and every every country is different, obviously, but I think that that tells you kind of how central banks are looking at this. So I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, we're going to move forward, you know, smartly, uh, cautiously, optimistically, um, but we are going to move forward. And I think that's that's the case with the Fed. So anyone I think looking for the Fed to uh, at least as we sit here now in early August, take a pass on on all this, I think is going to be, I think is going to be disappointed. That said, I think that our call has moved as well. uh, But the consensus, I think, is also moving. And uh, we're now we're now looking for, uh, although not a big one off epiphany announcement for tapering, it's going to be kind of a slow feed. Uh, But we think that, you know, the the announcement is probably going to be at the November meeting for the for the Fed, not not the September meeting. Um, with with physical tapering likely to happen soon thereafter, either in December or January. And maybe the tapering is a little bit quicker than I would have expected a couple months ago. So maybe instead of 10, sorry, maybe instead of 10 billion a month, it might be 15 billion a month. And so it it would wrap up, it would wrap up a little bit, a little bit more quickly. Obviously, the Fed will manage that and probably, um, you know, manage it on a quarterly basis. But uh, but that's kind of how we're looking at, you know, how we're looking at it. So, you know, to bring that back to the Delta question, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of off the the September, which always had kind of later risk for us anyway. But I, although, I, I, you know, this is probably not a Delta story per se. I just think the Fed wants to see a little bit more data, particularly around the labor market. Um, but the Fed should still be wrapping up its tapering plan by the, you know, by the end of 22. Um uh, although I still don't think we're going to see rate hikes until 23. Uh, but yeah, from a market's perspective, uh, the Fed doesn't seem to think it's, uh, it's, it's, that, it's that big a deal. Um, so we shall see, um, uh, you know, in, in three or four weeks, if, if, we, if we've seen some issues around school openings, then that could change, that right. could change the, you know, the calculus. But for now, I think, I think we're trying to stay cautiously and the Fed's trying to stay cautiously optimistic that, uh, you know, we're going to keep, we're going to keep trying to, to normalize. And is that the the big risk then is is back to school openings? I mean, when I think about where unvaccinated people um, tend to be a higher percentage of the population in the U.S. Yeah. tends to be the less urban areas, tends to be um, areas that uh, are opposed to like philosophically opposed to sort of a strict lockdown. So yeah. is it really back to school that, you know, you could see parents obviously not be able to work in the same fashion, et cetera? Yeah, so I think that yeah, that and you've got the the expiry of a lot of these uh, federal and state uh, unemployment right. benefits, right? And obviously those started to roll off in some states a, n- a number of months ago, but everything should be wrapping up by September. 
so you have kind of that that double whammy but yeah that was that was very that was a very key uh driver for us was you know what 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 does it look like kind of on the back of the the ui ending in september would uh you know would people that have the ability to go and get jobs actually go and get those jobs and it was really just kind of childcare that was you know right. affecting that and you know obviously there's a lot more childcare than just you know school hours but uh, it's 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 obviously a part of it, and you know sure. would would going back to school, and I would say the U.S. at, at least versus kind of sitting here in Ontario, it starts a little bit a little bit earlier. So you have, you do have people back in school late in late August, uh, right. often the case, um, you know. But would would it allow people to kind of be a little more a little more free to go and and look for work or take work? Clearly, those jobs are available. I mean, pretty yes. much every every survey uh, up and down the board suggests that there's not enough available labor not enough qualified labor around. Um, and uh, we've all seen stories around the incentives um, with respect to whether it's, you know, benefits and higher minimum wage, you know, college tuition stuff, uh, you know, lots, right. lots, lots, of, lots of, lots of nice perks. Um, you know, so I think, and I think the Fed has always wanted to see the September data, um, you know, particularly the, uh, the September, payrolls data, which, which doesn't get printed until, until October. And we finally had, um, governor Brainard, who I put in, you know, in the top four of, of most important uh, people to listen to at the fed. And frankly, if Powell gets replaced, she, she might be the person replacing him. We haven't heard from her, uh, since before the June FOMC meeting, but we just heard from her late Friday. Um, and she essentially said, I, I want to see the September data. Uh, right. um, which prints in, which prints in October. So that, that, that suggests to me again, that, um, that the September meeting, uh, well, I think it will continue to, you know, elevate the discussion and that, that will, you know, tapering discussion and that will, that will happen. I don't think that we're going to have the big, uh, announcement that makes it plainly obvious that, uh, you know, tapering is occurring because I think the fed won't have enough data, um, you know, at that at that time, because it'll be late September, and they'll want to see the uh, they'll want to see the data in early October. So, yeah, I do think the school I do think the school and the labor market side is very important here. Again, I think this Fed wants to be wants everybody to participate, whether you know wh wherever you come from and whatever job you do. Um, this Fed, I think, under this chair, believes that uh, everyone should be participating in the recovery. Um, and, and that's, that's part of the idea of getting the, the unemployment rate, uh, back below three and a half percent. And, uh, and, uh, I think, I think going back to school and schools opening is a big part of that. Right. Uh, well, let's, let's stick with the U S but switch more to the political, uh, world in the U S and the infrastructure bill. Um, I continually hear, uh, headlines that are, to be honest, to my reading, somewhat confusing. Sometimes they're bipartisan. Sometimes they're going through yeah. reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, the numbers change on what's bipartisan and what's going through reconciliation. Uh, give us an update. Uh, where, where are we with infrastructure? Uh, and, uh, and what's your view on it? Has it changed at all in the, the recent weeks? For sure. Yeah. There, there are a lot of headlines. I think you, you're not the only person to kind of say, Hey, what, what, what's actually going on here? And I kind of, I wonder sometimes myself, I think the state of play, uh, you know, as to where we are now, there's a bipartisan infrastructure deal, which I often call act one, the smaller, the smaller act, the smaller bill that, um, took a little bit of wrangling to get together. And it's come through in the Senate and agreements come through in the Senate as opposed to the house, you know, which isn't, 
which isn't always the case that it happens. It's a bit of an exception. It's not completely out, out of the way, but um, right. so it's 500 and uh, it's about 550 billion um, on top of the additional kind of baseline spending. So the 550 is the number that gets thrown around. The size of the bill, I think, is actually around 1.2 trillion, but everyone talks about the 550 billion dollar number because that's kind of the the extras, so to speak. Um, so that is in process of being passed by the Senate. So it hasn't been passed, <laughs> hasn't been passed by the House, and it hasn't been uh, signed in the law by the White House. So there is a deal in the Senate, but okay. it's got it, that. So Act One still needs to play out, so to speak. Um, so it's got a little while to go. Now Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, who's Speaker of the House and is in charge of bringing uh, legislation to the to the floor in the House in the U.S., uh, has said many, many times, and we've talked about it, I think, um, before, that she is not willing to bring this first bill, the Act 1 bill, uh, that got done or is apparently going to be done in, in the Senate. She's not going to bring it to the floor of the House for a vote um, until they get a deal on the bigger Act 2 uh uh, you know, infrastructure deal and, uh, and, and uh, you know, that's obviously a human capital uh, deal, not just, not just, you know, usual infrastructure like ports, right. airports, you know, bridges and tunnels and that sort of thing. Um, and that's the three and a half trillion dollar number that keeps getting thrown around, uh, particularly by the White House. And I think the, the three and a half trillion dollar number is actually a White House number because these, these things, you know, usually you can have, you know, ideas come out of, the House, out of the Senate, out of the White House, or, or multiples of thereof, really, at least in Congress. And um, anyway, so that when you see the three and a half trillion dollar number, that's kind of the Act Two number that um, is really coming out of the White House. So that's uh, that you know that's still very much in play. Uh, I think that number is going to get watered down, um, and Pelosi is not interested in bringing it to the floor uh, as we speak. The House is already in uh, summer recess. And you can always recall the house and bring them back and maybe everybody shows up, maybe not. But the house is not supposed to be back from recess until after Labor Day. So it's it, it's challenging for me to see that uh, that bill get voted on really anytime soon. Um, even if even if the Senate, even if the Act One bill does get through the Senate and, and kind of clear uh, the Senate and then ha get gets taken up in the House, so I think we're a few months away from seeing anything here uh, materially. And now there's a couple other things kind of peripherally that could get thrown into the mixing bowl that makes it a little more challenging. I'm sure a lot of people have heard around the de about the debt ceiling that you know that now sure. that you know uh, you know is that going to get um, you know, raised and there needs to be that conversation because it's currently been suspended. The federal government's not uh, issuing as many bonds now here in the in you know in real time now and in the near term because uh, it doesn't have any more room effect, essentially by law uh, that 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 expired on on January uh, sorry on July thirty first. So uh, that could easily be used as a you know a bargaining chip uh, in terms of the 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 infrastructure negotiations. And there's also the um, the Transportation Act, which usually comes up every, I think it's five, it might be four or five years, every four or five years. And that's kind of like the, 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 the bare bones, roads, bridges, tunnels, ports that gets, uh, uh, I think it's the Transportation, it's, the, it's a Transportation Act that basically gets renewed um, to, to, to fund the usual types of 
normal infrastructure projects, you know, brick and mortar, so to speak, infrastructure projects. And that's due up in September. So there's that that shouldn't be a big deal, but it could be another bargaining chip for either side, really, to sure. to kind of come in. So 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 when you say I'm not really quite, you know, I see a lot of mixed headlines, I I completely agree. There's there's a lot of uh it's very dynamic and there's a lot of things going on from you know the characters that are in play, uh, the timing, the amounts, uh, a couple other peripheral issues, and that sort of thing. I think we will get all told. I think we will get something passed. I think that uh, the the three and a half trillion Act Two number is going to get watered down a little bit. And keep in mind that it's not going to be um, it's not going to be all brand new spending. There are pay fors, you know, taxes and credits that that will be. Um, put towards that. So it will, it'll be a net, uh, I don't know, $2 trillion number, give or take, which is obviously still a huge number. But yeah, sure. as, as the three and a half sits right now, there's at least a trillion and a half, if not $2 trillion in pay-fors, uh, higher taxes and credits, that are supposed to partially pay for that three and a half trillion. So it's not it's not net new deficit, so to speak. So that all that side of it, the, you know, who's going to pay for it side, also still has to get uh, hammered out. And the Republicans obviously have a fair bit to say around that. I mean, it's very likely that the, the larger bill, the Act 2 bill, is going to get passed via, via reconciliation. So it'll be kind of 50, you know, 50 plus one in, in the right. Senate because I think a lot of um, a lot of Republicans, A, don't want to have that kind of top line spending and B, are not going to be exactly signing up for significant tax hikes Um corporate personal or or otherwise but i do think something gets done now what's interesting is um you know what will uh you know will market will markets care a lot of this will um get doled out over many years uh, 10 years is probably a fair number so yes it's a big number but if it's kind of a net 2 trillion and you divide it by 10 so it's you know call it 200 billion which is obviously still a big number here but on a twenty trillion dollar economy, it's not it's not massive, massive. Um, and so, how much how much does it move the needle? And I would also keep in mind that, I mean, by the time this gets done, very little of it's going to happen this year. And I'd say very you know not a lot's going to happen next year, um, at least on the spending side. But on the tax side, a lot of it's going to kick in, probably in real time, and arguably some of it might even be retroactive. So you almost have a bit of a negative impact in some ways. Uh, around around some of these things, and I think you know, from a risk perspective, obviously this is you know, uh, I'm part of the fixed income team, but uh, there, there's definitely some concerns in terms of how this might hit corporate earnings, if indeed, sure. uh, depending on 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 the lines, right? Like how, how does this how does this actually look? When does it come into play? You know, could corporate taxes be a little higher than expected? Could it be retroactive? What does it mean for consumption? Um, does it still give firms pricing power as they've enjoyed for the last number of months through COVID? And obviously, earnings have been pretty good. Corporate earnings have been decent, um, you know, which is obviously filtered through to how fixed income markets have been trading. So, you know, I think those are you know those are interesting questions that are still TBD because there's a lot of yeah. a lot of bargaining and horse trading that needs to happen. But um, I think it's an interesting process. There's kind of a tangential thing that uh, came out over the weekend that is uh, is related to this that I think is interesting and. I think it's I think it's a great little thing to keep in mind for people that are listening to the podcast. Remember, Q one was all about fiscal, right? We had the the Georgia sure. we had obviously Biden late in nineteen, uh, sorry, late in uh, late in twenty. Uh, we had the uh, the Georgia election, which kind of changed the the uh, the calculus for how things could get done. 
And we, you know, we were obviously very focused on fiscal for the first half uh, of the year going into the year and particularly Q1. And then the Q2, we uh, talked about the idea that you might not be as big a driver going forward. Well, there's some interesting stuff over the weekend that basically had uh, the largest pension, the largest pension plan in the world is in Japan, the GPIF. And um, it came out over the weekend that uh, GPIF, which is around 1.7 trillion US, uh, did a, a pretty big reallocation, was in the process of doing a pretty big reallocation and uh, took down their fixed income holdings, particularly their US Treasury holdings by about 10 percentage points um, early in the year, probably a lot of it before Japanese fiscal year end, uh, which is the end of March. And this is interesting because when you look at how uh, fixed income markets traded in particularly the first half of the year, uh, yields were moving higher. Obviously, we had a big move higher in yields, right? And a lot of that was attributed to fiscal, yeah. which I think is correct. Um, but I think in retrospect, we actually had a fair bit of flow dynamic happening where uh, GPIF was uh, selling. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why yields were maybe moving higher, particularly not in the North American time zone, but particularly overnight our time and, and, and in Asian and you know, during Asian trading. And I think, uh, what, what, so what's interesting about that is maybe um, yields were moving higher in Q1, maybe not as much as we would have thought based on kind of the fundamental re, you know, rethinking of uh, the economy and the outlook and, and the fiscal story. But maybe a lot of it was uh, flow based because of this big reallocation that was happening, particularly in Japan and during the, uh, you know, the Asia, the Asia trading session. And so, you know, back back to the the question, you know, what does that necessarily mean for you know now going forward? Does that mean yeah. that um, fiscal is going to be a big driver? Because these are big numbers, and I've kind of been fading the idea that um, it is going to be a big driver for markets. And, and you know, may, maybe fiscal isn't going to be as big a driver as as some as some people think because it, maybe it wasn't as big a driver in Q one as a lot of people think it was, including myself, because uh, I think, uh, you know, there was this, this big flow dynamic that was happening under underneath, uh, particularly during the Asia, during the Asia session. And, uh, you know, so maybe, so maybe fiscal doesn't have as much uh, importance. So these are the kind of the things that we think about on the team from a dynamic perspective and, you know, what are the key drivers from a macro perspective and how should it impact our duration position and that sort of thing. So just kind of an interesting yeah. thing that kind of came out over the weekend that I thought was, uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, really interesting uh, thought because we all know how yields performed in Q1, which was pretty much one way higher. Um, right. But, you know, maybe the rationale behind that wasn't exactly what a lot of people thought. So something to think about. It's uh, it shows the caution that you should use when reading headlines, too, that explains why the markets did something yeah. uh, yesterday or the day before uh, when you have uh, actors like these uh, in place. So it's a timely warning. Uh, it sounds like, uh, just to summarize on the infrastructure side, uh, it's too early. There's too much sausage left to be made to really be doing any positioning around that. Is that fair to say? I think that's, I think that's fair to say. And yeah. uh, We'll get a lot of news, ironically, I think, in the next couple of weeks while a lot of people are on vacation. Uh, but I think I think we'll see the ball move in, in, in some direction uh, right. here in, in, during the first half of August, maybe into the third week. There'll be there'll be some progress made uh, in, in some direction. So, keep, you know, keep an eye out for sure. Great. Well, Dustin, maybe we'll call it there. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.